Hello, and welcome to Manga Explaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by Deb Aoki, Christopher Woodrow Butcher, Chip Zdarsky, and myself, David Brothers. Follow along with our show notes and reading list at mangasplaining.com. And I'm the host this week. My name's David. Nice to meet you. This is the 83rd episode of Manga Explaining, which is a strange number, but we've done a lot of strange episodes. So, you know, you've been along for the ride. This is the end of our season, so we are here to talk about Akira Volume 4 by Katsuhiro Otomo. And so if you're a listener who, you know, jumped in midstream on the podcast, skipping all the prior episodes, kind of what we started (laughs) with was, it's a lot of continuity. Like, I am a firm believer that if you don't want to do something, don't do it. Just go to the newest one. It'll be fine. But we started our podcast with a discussion of Akira Volume 1. It's probably my favorite comic and i think the other members of our podcast like it a little bit too we return to akira at the end of every season to talk about the continuing volume and kind of like each season we'll get work our way closer and closer to the end of akira and the awkward conversation about what to do about the end of manga explaining but we'll get we'll burn that bridge when we get there <laughs> where to so i'm hosting this one i'm gonna be totally upfront and say that i'm gonna wing it because we'd planned for someone else to host, and then we looked at the order. There were too many people going in a row. And I'm always talking about Akira, so I feel like this might be a fun experiment. Like, can we turn my minutia-oriented fandom into a real conversation? <laughs> we shall see. First of all, can I, can I just say that I, I love that it's a concern that one of you might accidentally host a few back-to-back. Like, <laughs> it's, it's not like it means none of us talk. I think it's fine, but yeah, that's just one man's opinion. One man's opinion. I like it. Yeah. I do like that we were so worried about that we just made you host the Sweetness and Lightning episode for fun, though. That was that's actually true. totally worth it. Totally worth yeah, it. Maybe, maybe that's why I'm upset. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Yeah, also full disclosure, they did try to make Chip host this one too, but I left in front of the bullet for my friend. <laughs> what a friend. Yeah. We're saving that for volume six. <laughs> I There's a lot of different places to start with Akira. This volume picks up just kind of immediately post-apocalypse, maybe a few months after the apocalypse happens. So we're in full, you know, everything's very dirty. Everyone's wearing like torn up clothes. Life is bad and getting worse. But the story is kind of picking up. Crazy things are happening. There's a huge gun battle in the middle of this volume. It is a quintessential volume of Akira, let's say. And Deb, I want to start with you. First, did you like this volume? And second, what was something that you noticed about this while you were reading that kind of made you perk up? I would say this is the volume when you realize that if you only watch the anime, you missed a lot. Yeah. Oh. It's just, this is when it starts you start seeing that there were certain things that were picked in, you know, put into the anime, but the way that the characters are developed in this particular volume, mm-hmm. the way it explains a lot of things that the anime just didn't have time to explain, it's kind of, it moves the story forward. It makes it less mysterious. It kind of like explains like, oh yeah, so why are all the little kids wrinkly, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and gee, why... Why is Akira so powerful? Why is everyone afraid of this little boy who doesn't say anything? And of course, the best part about this volume is Chiyoko. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah she's so good. <laughs> she kicks ass up and down the block. <laughs> it's, a, it's a joy to Literally. watch. <laughs> and it's just like, it, you really see that he's, it's no longer a pure sci-fi story. It is a, 
it is like a dystopian survival story. Mm-hmm. The action is fabulous. It's got everything you you want from Akira, right? Drug abuse, guns, lots of fighting, and then some backstory. Yeah. This is like when Akira really kicks into like fourth gear and goes up the hill. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed it a lot. It's, I, I wish I, I, this is one of those books where you want to go back and reread it over and over again because it starts to foreshadow stuff that happens at the end. And you're like, oh, okay. This yeah. is when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird, right? Because it's not the end. It's not, I don't even quite consider it quite the middle. It's just kind of like it turned into a completely different book from this yeah. yeah. And that's really fascinating to, to see. Mm. It's really fun. Like the fact that volume one and volume four could be completely different series, but then there are all these little like moments in volume four. They're like, oh yeah, this character is coming back soon. Remember this guy, you know, kind of yeah. a little bit. I like The guy it. who was kind of the, like the rebel leader who you kind of thought was going to be kind of a hero turns out to be kind of a douche. Like, yeah. <laughs> okay. And the colonel who, who you thought was going to be just, just the evil, like, oh, he's kind of sympathetic. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it, so much gets the turned on The characters have so much this. turn. Yeah. And Chip, we've talked before about like the world building aspects of manga, how sometimes you hit blocks that are just like eight pages of here's what's going on in this world and here's what it means. And this volume definitely opens with one of those where it's mm-hmm. with Lady Miyako yeah. and stuff like that. What did you think of how they just like, how did the information dump treat you? And did it like, how did it affect your enjoyment of the book? I didn't need it. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's one of those things where like kind of finding out backstory of all this was like well it actually doesn't doesn't help me at this point i don't think especially by volume <laughs> four it's like i'm not i didn't need the science behind how they became this yeah so for me it didn't really it didn't really matter i was like deb i was kind of i was fascinated with the fact that it's like a whole new story it's a dystopian thing which kind of kills it a little bit for me i kind of i i really loved volume three mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what was missing from this was the chaotic energy of Kaneda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Literally, like, he's missing. For yeah, most yeah, of he, the he, he's missing, you know, like, like, like so many fun parts of this series and what kind of keeps it from dipping into like maybe too dark and too sad mm-hmm. is that character. And mm. so without without him being a, kind of a part of this volume, I found myself not as interested. Like there's mm. a lot of action, a lot of stuff happening. Chioka's great. Like definitely the highlight of, of this. Some really cool action stuff. It's gorgeous as always. But it's also, it's like the, uh, you know, it's the uh, dystopian uh, or rapey chapter. Yeah. I was where like every third guy too. is just like, oh, here's my chance. I'm a rapist now. I'm like, oh God, like. Yeah, and I know it's like of its time or whatever, but it's also it was like it was so much. It wasn't even just like one scene. It's like you turn around a corner and there's another guy who's just like, oh, all right, I'm like oh, okay, <laughs> so yeah. this is the story now. So yeah, it's I think yeah, volume three is my favorite. This even saying this is my least favorite, it's still amazing. Like it's still like mm. it's a stellar chapter of a stellar series, but yeah, without without the kind of the the Canada heart to it it fell a little bit flatter for me than other volumes. I could see that because he's probably the only person who intentionally tells a joke in the entire series. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's true. Yeah. Yeah. And Christopher kind of like how chip noticed there was like 
a lot of like threats of a certain nature in this book. While I was reading, I realized that this came out before Jurassic Park and CSI. So DNA was mysterious in a way. Yes. DNA was. So all the helixes that are kind of rotating, people are like, oh, what is this mysterious thing? And I'm like, children know what this is now. Was there anything that kind of struck you while you were reading this time that was discordant like that? Mm. The thing I like about post-apocalyptic stuff and Carla Speed McNeil does this really well in Finder, which is her like epic lifelong post-apocalyptic societies rebuilding sci-fi series is just how ignorant everybody is. Like people like as soon as you lose something, as soon as you lose a generation of knowledge, it's lost. And we don't always think about that as a society. We just think it's like abundance, you know, we're going to have everything forever and we're only going to get smarter. We're only going to know more. And it's like this traumatizing event at the end of chapter, volume three, beginning of volume four. And it's like, all right, we've already lost so much. Like things are already so, so effed in this. And so things like, yeah, like some street punk in 1984 is not going to know what a, you know, DNA helix is. They don't even use the word helix uh, in the translation. Yeah. And yeah. And it ties into what Chip was saying. It's like, yeah, a bunch of like, basic people are taken in by a charlatan basically like a violent like a violent teen gang leader and become that like they just become it it read a lot like a commentary on like otaku culture and like useless young (laughs) men being sort of rounded up like all of the like rapist bad guys on at least on tetsuo's team are yeah absolutely read like otaku stereotypes which i think is fascinating like what is otomo trying to say here and is it self-critique because the movie had come out or was just about to come out at this point and akira was like had huge fandom right Mm -hmm. so that was fascinating i like that (laughs) all of the technology of the first volume has been replaced by a crazy dude standing on top of a pillar shouting what's going on at people <laughs> like he is the loudspeaker yeah. of the neighborhood and has psychic like has psychic power it, it, that's pretty fun i think i'm closer to deb in my appreciation for this volume especially this is where it kicks into gear uh, it's so strange to me that chip was like yeah this is the one that felt flat because it didn't have Canada cracking a joke every three pages and it's like dude Everything happened in this volume. Everything ramped up significantly. Like we didn't have Kaneda. He had a lot of heart. I'll give you that. And that is missing for sure. But like we still get the find the MacGuffin sort of storytelling, I guess, pattern from volume three. In volume three, it was everyone's trying to get Akira. Oh, the wrong person got it. He saw a murder at the end of the thing. And so he's fully awakened. And this one, everyone's trying to get the other two children that are still alive, Masato and Kyoko. Hmm. And that's this exactly the same storytelling pattern. Like they're moving from place to place, which is kind of why I kind of bounced a bit because it's just like mm. it was doing it again, but like ramped up with more of it. Now there's two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now there's two kids, and uh, the stakes are insane. Like the stakes are, it's just open martial law on every page. Like burning people down a little bit, few more psychics. Like it's ramping up. It felt up. It didn't feel. It didn't feel flat for me it felt way way up and i i gotta say i don't know how it could go up from volume three but the art is maybe better than volume three the art is maybe this might this might be perfect art <laughs> like i i didn't notice any flaws at all while i was and then like little things like if i'm in the hardcover edition 
Uh, mm. Sorry, the co- contemporary Kodansha hardcover edition, not one of David's many hardcover <laughs> editions. But like just Tetsuo's hand grasped, like his fist, his clenched no. fist at the bottom of page 218. No, his like human fist while he's tr- with the with the drugs next to it. It is mm. such a simple drawing, but it's so good. Like it's just, it's, I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but it's even got like the little extra bit of hand that extends past the fourth knuckle and the fourth thumb, like which most people would usually leave out because it's not very, you know, actiony to have a little bit of like baby <laughs> fat because he's still like 15 years old or something and ruling the, the great, you know, Tokyo empire. There's so many illustrations in this volume in particular that are just perfect. Like the one that they turn into a t-shirt where he's got the the pill on his tongue and it's, like, oh, yeah. it's just like candy. Like that has yeah. become such an iconic illustration. The, like the, again, the it's ending sequence one. or that one, like the double page spread of him going yeah, through yeah. drug withdrawals with like just the close up on his face. And it's, Man, I don't like it's just a really, really good and especially the action stuff where they're like burning down the temple is just all very good. And you revisit scenes from previous like you revisit not the I think it's the nursery with like but this time the escalators are all broken and like it's falling apart and you see the grandeur of what it was and it's he's he's showing explicitly how it's falling apart. Just really good stuff like that. That's gorgeous. It, I don't know. Yeah. This is this book is this this volume is just even better drawn than volume three is what I want to say as my like main thought about <laughs> this <Yeah>. particular <laughs> and it's yeah. so good it's so good all the way through love it I actually I put this down I put this book down and I sort of turned to Andrew and I was like I'm what if Akira is the best comic of all time actually like <laughs> what if this is the best comic huh and then you just and like it's all downhill from here <laughs> yeah like. Like what if like like what if we had, we peaked in 1987 or something and like everything else after that has been like pretty good, but it's just it's kind of doing everything, yeah, all at once. It's got everything and it does even have one actual like undeniable joke, the Looney Tunes joke where the guy explode gets gets shot oh, and explodes yeah. <laughs> yeah. and he's just like an outline of ash and he's like well and even though he got hit by a bomb and it's like. The only yeah. time Otomo allows himself a moment of real cartooniness is this one tiny panel, and it's hilarious. This one on 134, too, is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, ex- except yeah, dude Chilko, his like, head caved in. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so funny. It's like, oh, you know, it's like, what was like when he's going to do the, the, the kung fu move, and then that's like the moment when Crocodile Dundee says, I don't got enough, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Could you, could you, could you, yeah, uh, I just wanted to hear you. I'll send it to you to make it a ringtone later. (laughs) It's so classic. The storytelling in this is really good. I don't know if it's better. Man, you said so many things I want to reply to. Like, yeah, sorry. I just kind of went off. I'll, 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 I'll say that this is the best illustrated, best storytelling comic of all time. Mm. I think that's I would fair. definitely yeah. I would definitely say that. It's it's hard, you know, you're comparing art, I know, but like but like the draftsmanship and the cartooning, it's just like it's perfect. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Elegant. It's like so detailed, technical yet organic. Like I get mad as I read it, as I often <laughs> do. But mostly just mad at you know, not to like be this guy, but I get I get mad at like 
some of, I'll say some of the artists I work with mm. where they just cannot compose a page and they cannot think of space mm. in the same way that Otomo does or even close. Like, yeah, there are so many amazing ideas here. Yeah. Some of these, this is mostly like, you know, six panel pages and stuff or more, and yet they still feel spacious. Like you still get a sense of scale on things. Mm-hmm. Can Whereas I- like, I want to draw your attention to page 158 because it's exactly what you're saying. And I totally agree with you there. It's a scene where they're, they're carrying one of the kids. I love it. And it's like, there's so much scale in this. The scale keeps changing. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the page as a whole, it totally breathes, right? Like it's, it's, there's, it's like infinite numbers of tiny lines in the background of this, but it still totally breathes because the, on the first panel where they're sort of going over the, the, the accidental bridge, there's some tone in the background, except the tone is the windows of the office building. It's not just like screen tone. They drop the backgrounds out in panel three to like give emphasis. And then they super detail the backgrounds in panel four with the rocket spin, like speeding towards them. It's just, they're doing, they're do, he's doing all the things and it feels awesome. Like it feels yeah. so good, except yeah. no one would ever buy this page because there's not like a hero shot of, Chiyoko on it and like even when Chiyoko appears she's just in like on page 159 she's just in a little inset panel almost on the on the bottom left she doesn't have the big I'm firing the rocket thing yeah. and that's something we don't do anymore there like yeah. it's just what if it's just pure storytelling and it's not about drawing a page that you can sell later like I don't I don't mm-hmm. blame anybody because comics pay shit but you know makes pages that you can sell on the aftermarket but like Make sure you've got a couple pages in it that look as good as page 158 of Akira Volume 4 is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, 158 is amazing because it's not mm. it's not a big moment or anything, but mm. it, it's one of the pages that stood out to me too because uh, Otomo was so smart in how he destroyed the city in such a way where all yeah. the buildings, for the most part, are standing but at angles. Like It really creates tension. Mm. Like in That first panel on 158 was just the buildings were all straight up and down. Yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't have the same kind of tension, the feeling of danger, but mm-hmm. it's just like it's so elegant. And panel four could have just been panel one with the rocket, but it it's completely redrawn. It's like looking at it from below to really emphasize the scene. It's yeah, everything in this is so beautiful. I think we talked about the inverse of this on a previous accurate episode, like in volume three. Yeah, I was going to say opposite. <laughs> yeah, he was doing it. So he did Dutch angles huh? is the thing that Chip was talking about last That's time. That's it. Where you just tilt the camera, oh, let's right, say. Right. Yeah, so yeah. everything appears at a diagonal. In this one, the camera is actually straight on the action at all times, except but he made everything in the background <laughs> tilted. There's not one 90 degree line I can see like in this like 90 degree or 180 line in this whole book because the panel borders are always 90 degrees or like flat 180 degrees. So everything yeah. in the panels has like this incredible energy. What an amazing story. Do you think he destroyed Tokyo just so he could have the storytelling abilities that he has? So he could just like make every panel look dynamic. Just say, oh, just knock all the buildings over. (laughs) Just showing off. Yeah. He doesn't even need to cheat. There's a bit early on 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 page 11 with the spray paint where there's a panel dedicated Mm -hmm. to the spray coming out of the can first and then going across. And rereading it this time, yeah. that that really struck me. I was like, geez, like that is such a good way to set a scene and a mood. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Like just holding on that one moment and then descending into the chaos beneath it of basically a bunch of teenagers stripping a helicopter. Yeah. 
there's definitely a rhythm, right? Because like even in these first couple pages as I'm flipping through it, there are moments of like clutter and people yelling and talking and lots of things going on. And then in like page 10 and 11 and you go to page 12, there's a breather. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful see, breather. Uh, you know, the destruction and you see the scale of the destruction and then it comes back to the human scale again. Like it, the way that it kind of weaves in and out and like he, even though there are several scenes of like, like Lady Miyako just like explaining everything, like talking head <laughs> style. And then it goes into like these quiet scenes where Akira and the Tetsuo's girlfriend are just kind of just chilling, just watching the water, <laughs> you know? That, that, that page 12, 13 spread mm. just really drove home the point to me that this could only be accomplished by a, a writer artist. Because mm. yeah. yeah. what would a writer do there? How would a writer be like, okay, so we'll do this as a double page spread, and it's just like, well, shot of the water, clouds, just kind of above the water, and then some water, and then maybe some people, and they're underwater, and they're going through the water. Like, I don't, I don't know what <laughs> the writer would contribute <laughs> to most of this. <laughs> the writer would just be like, yeah, buildings. Like, I feel like most writers Another would be guilty asking for a wide angle landscape with a hundred buildings in it. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. But like page 14, it's just like, like how would like the writer would just be like, yeah, I just want to see a building and more buildings and crumbling. That's it. Cause yeah. it starts out with the guys coming out of the water, very small. And then mm-hmm. they you get closer and closer to them. Whereas I think most artists would have their, their impulse on page 14 is to show the guy coming out of the water up, up close. Yeah. The hero yeah. shot. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, look at these yeah. awesome Navy SEALs dudes. And this book is really other actually other than Chiyoko and the Colonel, not many people get like those hero moments. Uh, Kay yeah. spends most of her time running around. The American soldier. The American soldier does at the end, and then the the bad psychics that Tetsuo's and the gang is doing get a couple mm-hmm. of uh, when the one guy comes out through the when the one guy comes out through the window to stop the, the flip, soldier and Ryu and does the flip. It's like pure. I feel like. It's the liquors from when Resident Evil, when they first appear, like that. It's sort of like they burst through the window and they're coming in sideways, kind of a thing. The liquors, for those of you who don't know, are sort of like human dogs with faces that, like, with mouths that open all the way and have a tongue that comes out of them. That it's like ten feet long and they attack with it. Obviously, Resident Evil being a zombie horror game. Anyway, he comes through that so unnaturally that it's shocking to me. And his body, like his body has been changed by the drugs as well so he looks like a monster and then later on the guy with the glasses the psychic gets brought in during the battle at lady miyako's place and he also gets like a half page coming up full hero moment as well which is funny because they're both reprehensible yeah i was yeah. gonna say <laughs> like, like the hero, hero moment <laughs> it's more like a grand villain it's like the the boss steps out of the shadows kind of a moment yeah, but that's who gets the hero shots in this. The the, the reprehensible people. Oh, and actually, the the big Chiaco, uh Lady Chio, or sorry, Chioko, not Lady Chiaco, but Chioko hero moment is where she's like emptying a full clip into that rapist. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. God. oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. missing. But she just keeps going into him. Like that was like, whoa, okay. Otomo is making yeah. like Otomo's doing a lot of, unf- like, yeah. There's a lot of gross rape shit in this volume. And also, Tomo is trying to make it really clear how he feels about it versus what yeah. he thinks the story should be. And I thought that that was, you know, if you got to do that, like, 
you got like that's not a bad way to do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We should yeah. say that there's nothing on panel, like nothing actually happens. It's all threats, yeah. basically, and yeah, you know, absolutely. Menace, I suppose, but it does like get irritating over the course of the volume when every scene it's like, come on, man. Yeah, it's kind. Of, it's kind of on panel with Tatsuo, and it's like, weird oh yeah, that's really. But yeah, yeah, I that was a really confusing scene at like 13 or 14 years old. Yeah, because yeah. you're like, oh, there's nudity. And then you're like, oh, but something's not right here. Kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. like they're all seeing things and dying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so let's talk about Chiyoko. We we talked about how cool she was on the last episode, and this is sort of like doubling down on how awesome she is. Mm-hmm. There are so many scenes like we talked a lot about or I talked a lot about her punching the guy through the lifeboat. In the past. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was a good yep. one. <laughs> yep. But the, the stuff with her and the rockets in this one is so good and such so like good. a bruiser bully character thing to do. Yeah. Uh, Deb, do you have any favorite moments with her? Oh, the, the part where she's let me see if I can find the moment. I mean, obviously, the, the one where she's just says. That scene where she's just plowing into that guy, right? Yeah, it's, just yeah, and then so the part good. where she's also what's the other part? I mean, come on, she is one solid lady. <laughs> like, yeah, she's just taking a bath yeah. and going like <laughs> they're just kind of talking. The way that they talk to each other, Kay and Chioko, mm-hmm. is like obviously they're friends, you know, and then they look out for each other. They treat each other as equals. And yeah, it's kind of interesting because in some ways she reminds me like, you know, that Legend of Mother Sarah character? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Legend of Mother Sarah being another book that Otomo worked on, by the by. Okay. The other thing that struck me about this particular volume, like, is like Chiyoko's, Chiyoko, I think maybe as, because as Chip was saying that, you know, that it's missing the, the Kaneda you know, hero mm-hmm. moments. It's missing the humor. It's missing maybe some of the the little lighter moments because this is a very dark chapter in this particular series. The part that Chioko comes in, even though she's super violent, like it it does lighten the mood a little bit. Like, oh yeah, you go. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's a feeling of humor through catharsis, <laughs> through yeah. like the exhale of her like letting loose and like shooting everyone and beating them all up, like. Yeah. yeah, there's there's something there to that. Mm-hmm. I, I will say, like, reading the whole series, like, I've never been, like, really worried for characters until she got stabbed. <laughs> yeah. As soon as she gets stabbed, I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone but her. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Yeah, because she's such a powerhouse throughout the entire series, really. Like, there's a rule in action storytelling where you're like, if you show your hero getting hurt and make them a little bit human or, you know, more relatable in a way. And she yeah, doesn't really get absolutely. that other than the stabbing, but she's still like something about her demeanor, maybe like her design, her approach just makes her feel really like cool and fun, even without that kind of like depth. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the thing where she launches the guy down the hallway with the missile. Oh, I love it. I love that. Yeah. Perfect. Oh my God. That <laughs> was, yeah. That's a good one. That was a favorite. You don't even see what happens to that guy. I think it's, Interesting because she's unstoppable for like two thirds of the volume, and then after she gets stabbed, and she's gone, who knows how long carrying Kyoko. Yeah, 
through the sewers. Yeah, through the sewers, getting bit, you know, with yeah. the rats. And the and that whole page with the rats is like so well drawn Ooh. again. Like that sequence, yep. rats coming up out of water onto her, like everything you don't yeah. want to draw, he drew it. And it's all the anyway, we'll put it, it's all in the show notes, but but like get letting her rest off panel and you're like Oh, she needs a tetanus shot. Is she going to be okay? And the colonel's like, I'll be back in two to three days with medicine. But then the thing happens at the end of this volume. Will she be okay? I don't know. And I don't know. Yeah. She better be. She better be. Okay. Oh, but I love this part at page 210 where she goes, the colonel says, can you keep up? And she says, don't patronize me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was so good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good one. <laughs> it sort of turns into a Garth Ennis comic whenever those two are on panels together. Yeah. 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 <laughs> With the colonel, all of his former soldiers like saluting him and still being very loyal, I thought was a really good touch. Mm, yeah, for mm, sure. Yeah. It just kind of it kind of snaps them out of what they were in. Yeah, because I think sometimes, like this is obviously an extreme example, but I think sometimes you can get wrapped up in doing something and it feels like the right thing in the moment. And like mm. the Great Tokyo Empire, not really the right thing in the moment. But then yeah. you have that moment of clarity, or like you realize, like, no, wait, like I need to make a decision and move left or right here. And it happens a couple yeah. of times, and it's so good. The second time, I think, is my favorite. Yeah. Oh, it's the second How time. Come? Well, the second time, so, so like David was saying, I didn't mean to interrupt, I'm sorry, but the guy who's crying while saluting him, he's like, oh my God, mm. this, he, the colonel represents like the last bit of his old life there. And mm. that's like, that's why he's crying. Like, he's like, oh my God, remember when things made sense, and this is the colonel. But the second guy who doesn't shoot him, who's a member of Tetsuo's gang, doesn't shoot him and instead shoots the guy who's ordered to kill him. And the colonel turns to him and goes, like, why are you still here? Oh, and, and he says, this is where my wife died. I couldn't leave. And then just gets murdered, like brutally murdered by his own men. Uh, and the colonel escapes. And you're just like, oh, that's that hurt. Like that act that yeah. you didn't need to do that. Otomo. That was, that was like, <laughs> yeah. we're already suffering this volume. <laughs> But it's like, absolutely, like, he's lost his army, he's lost his country, and then, like, the person that's most important to him died. So he just sort of sits where she died and ends up falling in with another group, you know what I mean? Like, that are just, and shown to be completely reprehensible through this. Like, they're burning down, they're killing refugees, they're burning down temples, they're shooting people, they have a rape gang. Like, it's just gross. And that's, it all, like, it all... Sort of gets transferred to Tetsuo's second in command in this one, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. While Tetsuo yeah. does his own sort of bad shit and tries to get off the drugs, but like so much going on, like this is the 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 character growth of bad characters <laughs> <laughs> chapter. <laughs> the other part of like I, I find really interesting about Akira is that it reminds me how much Japan really has a primal first person memory of being destroyed. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Primal first person memories of devastation or people being orphaned, piles of bodies, the world that you knew in being in rubble that Americans don't have. I mean, I think maybe some Europeans have that memory. Yeah. I'm sure. And definitely people in the Middle East have have that memory, but people in America just don't. And it's real visceral here. (laughs) And the part where they set Tokyo on fire intentionally. You know, like mm-hmm. almost a hundred years after it was set on fire in World War II. I know mm-hmm. there's like a lot of texture here to grab onto. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, they have, he calls it not a hustle or something. The second in command who takes control of the Great Tokyo Empire's army is basically just there for himself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And he does the whole military action just to benefit himself again. Because if other people know there's more powers, then they lose control, essentially. Mm-hmm. 
And Akira doesn't seem interested in any of the Empire stuff. Tetsuo is, I think he enjoys the attention, but he's never, I don't know. Like, he's I can't too high. him out in this. Yeah, he is yeah. pretty strung out in this volume. Yeah. What did you all think of Tetsuo, actually? We've barely talked about him so far. Oh, that's true. He's going through some stuff. Yeah, so his current status quo, he's still addicted to pills and also trying to increase his mental power to compete with Akira, possibly. Mm-hmm. It's a bad time of it. But the scenes after in from 377 is like, that's when he's trying to get off drugs. Mm-hmm. It's nuts. That's when the flashbacks start happening and the hints of what the cosmic stuff that's to come in upcoming vo- volumes of Akira mm-hmm. really start to kick in. Mm. I think that they've shown Tetsuo to be nearly irredeemable, this volume, as a character. Mm. Like, they've pushed him so far. I don't know that no matter what happens in volumes five and six, he can be, air quotes, redeemed. And it's interesting because he's 15. Mm. Yeah. And that's actually a really big deal here but he's like all right he's been given literal like absolute power on like multiple fronts he's the ruler of the the de facto ruler of a whole country he's got unbelievable psychic powers and he can like anything that he wants can happen he could leave he doesn't need to stay in this rubble shithole like he could just leave and he doesn't he chooses to stay there and you know have girls brought to him and do drugs and it's like sad like it's so sad but also the things that he does this volume or the things that he is mostly responsible for are like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know how you come back from that as a character. It's so, it's, it's so clear. I don't know. It's an, it's an interesting, they've done a, they've taken this character who is just known for being super cool in the movie, (laughs) basically, and having like the flowing red cape and the robot arm who like he gets his own by like basically exploding into a weird gross like metal baby situation in the movie but there's a lot going on here that is not it's hard to say because mm. i think there's a tendency to treat the character as sort of one note but there's so much struggle depicted on so many levels and him just being like completely unable to understand. And I think uh, Lady Miyako gets to the core of it. It's like people in the stream, like you can't see the big picture. You can never really zoom out far enough to understand what's going on. And the second you get even a glimpse of that, it nearly kills him. The the second he like gets a glimpse (laughs) of what's really going on inside Akira's head, it nearly kills him. And I think that is a good illustration of him being in over his head, literally and metaphorically mm-hmm. <laughs> with all of this. But at the same time, like him and his captain, who's just called Captain, according to the inside of the front cover of the book, who is wearing a very mm-hmm. nice suit in the apocalypse, so you know he's a bad guy. His like shitty followers are pretty gross. And it's, you'd not, like, and the, the colonel was at least consistent. Like he did some mm-hmm. reprehensible shit in the first three volumes, but was like, totally morally consistent throughout unlike his foil in those first three volumes who just gets it pretty bad in the end and nezu the the rat toothed guy who we talked about last episode but this is just like yeah no one's going to be saluting tetsuo out of like bravery or (laughs) remembrances of how things are really good when this is all over everyone's just going to either be terrified of him 
or avoid him altogether. And I think that that's an interesting illustration. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't be the character of the irredeemable, mm. mostly because I have a a worldview that no one is irredeemable. But the fact that he's a 15 year old, yeah, absolutely, with mm. this thing happening to him that's out of his control ultimately, and he's an addict on top of it, and he's experiencing space and time. Like, there's so mm. much here happening to him. Like, mm. yeah, but the 15 year old part is just like, mm. if this character was like 30, I'd be like. Oh uh, yeah, all right. But even still, like the the drugs and the mania from this this power that like he can't control, thrown into this world is like yeah, yeah. I know. I, mean, I, 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 I don't. Yeah. I don't know how the story goes, so I don't know. I don't know what happens to the character. No spoilers. <laughs> I'm assuming it's not good, but but yeah, but yeah. I think it's gonna be sad when it's not good mm, because of the fair. work done here. Yeah. Sorry, and they've done a ton of work in this volume as well of showing how Tetsuo became who he became. Yeah. With the flashbacks and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it does just like paint this like incredible point. Like it's it's such a good character. This is the character study volume of people who are not very good. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. you get you get some insight into the colonel, you get some insight into Tetsuo, you get some Yeah, it's 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 a rough one. It's a rough one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. While I was reading this one I was struck by how the movie kind of haunts it a little bit. Um, like I, I need, I should, I need to look up when this was coming out and where the movie was in its production process. Cause yeah. I assume that this is, we'll have that in the show notes. Parallel. Yeah. I think it came out about the same time. Yeah. About the same time. The, the reintroduction time. of the space laser with the Colonel was so satisfying and it almost yeah. plays yeah. off. Yeah. Like, I don't say our cultural, but like, we love the space laser in America. It is super cool. It's a great, also Canada. It's a great visual, but here it's like, Oh, we get it again. And I thought that was such like a cool little treat. And I think it's only because I know it from the movie. Like I have like the sound and the visual in my head because it's not deployed in the cool way. Like it's not like a cool fight where like he gets like the final shot in it's the Colonel basically bleeding to death, trying one last ditch thing on regular human beings, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But like the stakes just totally sell the moment for me more than the spectacle does, which is nice. Yeah. Also, those Mobius looking clouds are always a good time. <laughs> well, that's that's the part that haunted me from the anime is that that mm. scene, that eleven, that page eleven, twelve scene with like the clouds sort of floating over. To, that's actually in the movie. That's at the end after yeah. the explosion and stuff like that. That's where the movie ends. Is basically the first twenty pages of volume four or something like that. But definitely sequences that happen in this, like. Tetsuo's flashbacks through Akira's memories definitely happen in the, in the film that happens at the end. So you can see the parallel production where maybe in the movie he realizes he's got to wrap this thing up by like show, showing where Tetsuo came <laughs> from, like showing the space laser. And because the, the scene with Tetsuo, I mean, spoilers, the scene with Tetsuo dismantling the space laser from the movie doesn't happen this volume. It happens next volume. So I think that that's really interesting yeah. that there is parallel production and he's like p- picking Oh, it's like it's a little bit like Scott Pilgrim. Since I just I just saw myself wearing this shirt. So yeah, I was yeah. gonna say I was gonna say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing this shirt because it was on top of the pile. But Scott, the Scott Pilgrim movie was written basically at the end of volume three, and there's volumes four, five, and six. Oh, wow. So Brian had provided an outline for volumes four, five, and six, basically mm. to to Edgar and the team who was who was making the movie. So events don't happen exactly like they happen in the books, but they happen the heart of them is, is there. And I feel like that's the same thing with Akira where it's like, 
yeah, he clearly wrote the almost the entire movie to end at the end of volume three. And then there's like one scene at the end of, you know, volume, like that shows that they're going to keep fighting and yada, yada, yada. But it's just thematic bits that are pulled forward that don't happen in exactly the same way. That that's that's the Akira that's the Akira Scott Pilgrim comparison, and I think they're both really interesting for their like other media adaptations. So that is my yeah, for sure. That is that is your your legally mandated Scott Pilgrim quota for this season of manga splaining. <laughs> we'll be back in season four with even more. But no, I think you're absolutely right. And there's one joke in this that's so small and dumb, but it's my favorite joke from the movie. So I was actually wrong. When oh. I said there's, there's no humor in here. But on page three hundred eight. There's a bit where someone throws a smoke bomb and everyone's like, oh, keep moving. It's just a smoke bomb. And then it cuts to like an outside shot of something exploding inside the temple. Oh, yeah. The same thing happens in the <laughs> yeah. movie when Kaneda gets arrested and this guy runs up and he's like holding a bomb and he's like, I'm going to sacrifice myself, blah, 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 blah. And it doesn't go off and the cops beat him up. And then as Kaneda's leaving, you see the explosion in the background. Like same. Yeah. Thing. It's so yeah, good. Yeah. So good. <laughs> And it kills me reading this. I was on Twitter talking about Akira today because I have a lot of thoughts about this <laughs> series. And I was saying that because I'm kind of always rereading it, like looking over certain pages or just like going over old posts about it, like manga explaining has been the longest I've gone without like always rereading it, I would say. Like I'm taking a break between seasons just to kind of honor the deal with the devil that I made with Chris. And, <laughs> <laughs> and coming back to it with the fresh eyes, like it's always different every time I read it, but especially with like these gaps between, because here, like it feels a lot more like Buddhist and socialist than it was the last time I read it. And that's all because of like things I've read or discovered, you know, in the interim. This is the last time I picked up mm-hmm. volume three. Lady Miyako being like almost terminally determined not to use violence is yeah. really fascinating like for what it says about her point of view about like how she sees the world and k being very matter of fact is like no we got to go machine gun these guys and then we can have your conversation about peace and love and unity there's just so many different factions that yeah. get like they're treated mm-hmm. fairly like miyako's not mm-hmm. wrong like she really does have a point but also k has a point which is that like you can't really mm-hmm. piece your way out of certain situations mm-hmm. uh no pun intended I don't know, just mm. the scientists demanding his cigarettes. It feels so <laughs> human in so many different yeah. ways that I, I really enjoy rereading these for the podcast. But with that said, I do see why this would kind of derail Chip a little bit. Because even though it is the ramping up, it's a ramping up in a direction that wasn't hinted at early on. Mm. So it very much is a different book. But I think that it's the kind of different book twist that like makes a classic in the end. Yeah, like I'm still I'm still into it. Like yeah, because of how beautiful it is too. Like there's so much destruction here, especially towards the end of like of buildings and sections of the city and stuff. But I'm also just like, oh yeah, they 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 blew up the city last time. Yeah, it so is like, the same so, way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If they hadn't done it back then, it would it would impact me more here. But now it's just impacting me in terms of like the technical skill and the feeling of it. I'm just like, oh, just it's elegant and beautiful. Hmm. But it's also not, not like, oh no, people's homes are being destroyed. Well, no, they were already destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. man, even the end. Papers. I'm with you on this, actually. I, but yeah, it's the so end papers good. are gorgeous. It's so damn good. It's hmm. This volume is a is the middle chunk right where you're actually just like you're telling the story that you want to tell because it does end you know spoilers but the book's 35 years old and you're listening to a podcast about it i have to assume you've read it at some point it ends with canada coming back even though he's not 
in the world throughout this entire volume when Tetsuo maybe inadvertently rips a rift open in the sky and the building that Tetsuo was standing on, or not Tetsuo, Kaneda, uh, Tetsuo opens a rift that, that a building that Kaneda was standing on in the explosion at the end of volume three falls out. It's almost like he took Kaneda and this whole building and put him in a pocket somewhere, pocket dimension somewhere to keep him <laughs> safe. Space. And then not until he got off the drugs, could he like open it back up again. And I think that that's, like, so it does mean that when volume five starts out, everyone's like, all the pieces are in place. Like Kaneda is back and Kay saw him come back. Tetsuo is off the drugs. Akira and like Tetsuo has pledged fealty to Akira in a real way this time. Like all the, uh, the Colonel, you know, has the space laser and lives. Uh, Chioka will probably like all the pieces are in place for volume five and volume six to happen. And I think that that's, fascinating that this volume could be cut theoretically could be cut if you're just concerned about plot like if you're just making a movie like you only need like maybe 10 scenes out of the whole 400 page book but is so it's like why do you want to cut it why don't you just want more akira because this is more akira and it's great it's like actually like undeniably great it's just maybe like oh it's not quite as great as volume three and then all the stuff that's about to happen Volume five spoilers. Sorry, Eric. This that's going to happen with Volume five is really good, but it's it's good. It's like just it's yeah. so good. Oh, I just I just love this book. I actually just yeah. we got we luck we lucked out. Speaking of meta textual discussions of the podcast, <laughs> that we picked Akira as the framework for this. Because did you imagine we picked six volumes of something we didn't like or didn't like this much? <laughs> like this would be interminable. Like it'd be awful. But Akira <laughs> is just great. How many volumes of Nausicaa are there? <laughs> I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. I'm David, sorry. David, I, I, could I request a real bleep on that one instead of the backwards recording you've been doing? I yeah, want like we'll a real it. hard, hard beep on that one. Old fashioned. Old, fa- old oh, school. Man. Chip, every time it dies down. <laughs> I, know, I know. I can't help it. I'll, I'll just poking but, at that wound. I'm glad Chip said Let that about heal. this volume. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad Chip said that about this volume because it made me realize the jokes really do come back as soon as Kaneda is back on panel. Like, Kay mm-hmm. spots him falling out of the sky, which is really unlikely in a big building. And as yeah. he's falling, he bounces on, like, a awning or a cloth or something, bounces back into oh, the yeah. air, and says, wow. And it's like, dude, there's, like, 80 times <laughs> above your head. He's kind of like Wiley E. Coyote at this point. You know? yeah, yeah. I, I was going to like, say Bugs Bunny. And, yeah, and at the end, it's like, the dust settles, and he's like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah, yeah. Like the last scene, it just seems like, is it over? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it. All right. We should probably do last thoughts and get into the second half of the episode. Let's see. We started with Deb, and then we went to Chip, and then Chris earlier on. So let's do yeah. Christopher, Chip, and then Deb. Christopher, what you got? Final thought. I like that it, that Otomo, as a creator, as a writer, specifically tips his hand this volume by having characters ask Lady Miyako questions, and then she just answers them. There's no like Tetsuo <laughs> and her have a conversation, and it's not all oh, will be revealed in time. You know, like. That doesn't happen. She just tells him everything he asks. There's it's just because he, as a creator, is unconcerned 
with the technical bits, the same stuff that Chip wasn't really. He's like, I didn't need to know how this happened. She like he doesn't care either. He worked it all out because he's like a genius creator, and he just wanted everyone to know that he had his reasons. And it takes up, I don't know, maybe 15 pages out of the 400-page book, so I, I was fine with it. But yeah, he doesn't care about all the sci-fi tech nerd bullshit. And I think that that is amazing as a writer to be like, yeah, I came up with all of it, but like, no, the story's about these people. So Tetsuo comes in, it's like, what is Akira? And she's like, he's exactly this. How did Akira and the numbers come to be? In case, like, how did how did how did you have a number? Well, I was dead, and then I, you know, slept for thirteen years, and I woke up, and they didn't know I was still alive. So now I'm here, and you're just like mystery solved, mystery solved, mystery solved, page after page of that, because it's he doesn't care. It's about the creator. It's about the characters. It's about them going through their thing. I think that that was I've never seen that in a book before, where it's like the grand mysteries that were all being set up in the first three volumes. Not only does he not think that they're important, but he doesn't like toss them aside or brush them aside or be like, they weren't important and you were an idiot for asking, which I've seen a lot in contemporary media. This is just like, oh, here's the answer. I have all the answers. It's not important. What's important is like, we have to save these children and the place is on fire and burning down. So big props to Otomo for handling that the best way I've maybe ever seen. (laughs) Didn't say you were dumb for wanting to know. Didn't say like, I'm going to keep it a secret to keep you buying copies of Akira. He doesn't need to. Everyone's already buying Akira. David has five different versions of Akira, <laughs> all six volumes. He, like We don't need the mystery anymore. So totally dug that. And yeah, I, I liked that. It's just one of the many things I liked this volume. As I said, I put the book down. I was like, maybe this is the best comic of all time. I don't know. This is, it's insane how good this was. So that's, that's, my, that's my final thought on Akira volume four. I love that because all I can think about is, was it the second Matrix that had the guy in all white who didn't explain anything at the end of the movie? Yeah, it was the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the exact opposite. It's like, no, it's just this. Yeah, I love it. Chip, how about you? I liked it. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I, I, as always with these discussions, I liked it even more after talking to you, you three about it. Mm-hmm. It, it's a it's a gorgeous piece of work. It really is, and I always look forward to the end of our season. So one, I could take a break, and two, cool. I get to read another volume of Akira. <laughs> nice, Deb. How about you? I will say that, like, I think we brought this up in previous episodes when we talked about Akira, but like that in the movie, the women characters get short shrift mm-hmm. when they're so much richer in the manga and so much more interesting and nuanced and powerful. I mean, on one hand. They are kind of your stereotypical comic book, you know, badasses with boobs, you know, not necessarily women, but just badasses with boobs. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'm I'm not down with, but the fact that there's, I like that there's, that I guess I love, you know, I'm reading it now. I'm, I'm appreciating the rhythm of his storytelling mm. that, you know, there's explanaries and then there's epics, quiet scenes, and then there's action and then there's weird little humorous moments like i was looking at coincidentally i was like flipped up into 171 172 and then uh, k is like talking to this guy and the guy goes oh well you know hey you want to get it on lady and the guy goes hey what's with that rock and then pop yeah yeah. (laughs) i like that too and then the guys gather around and goes he's done his skulls caved in yeah but that asshole died with a heart on (laughs) that was the 
The drawing yeah. with him with the erection. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> He's gone, but his pecker's still got some yeah. pep. Nice one, translators. I like you. <laughs> yeah, way to Pector go. Still got some pep. So this this book, you know, like I can skim through it and go like, oh yeah, that's the general story. But it rewards close reading where you see all these moments and where you think, oh, that's an amazing way to to draw a scene. That's an amazing rhythm of the storytelling, and like, oh, I didn't notice how funny this was. Like, like one thing I enjoy when I talk about manga with you, David, is like you always seem to find that moment I've skimmed over and, and they go like, this is funny. I'm like, he's right. <laughs> I didn't notice this. This is brilliant. <laughs> it's all peer pressure. So Akira really rewards this kind of reading and rereading. And that's what I think partly what makes it a classic. Pretty good. Uh, I, was, I was just going to say the, the guy who gets hit with the rock, I really love his line where he's like, I was thinking I could partake of your services. Ah, just kidding. Sort of. Because like, you know that dude, that dude who's just yeah. like, oh, I'm testing the waters here, but oh, no, I'm just joking. But maybe I'm not joking. Yeah, the, so good. The fact that she just straight up murders him. It's pretty. I funny. like it. For my final thought, I mean, we all know I like Akira a lot, so I'll say that I got derailed on page 34 in this book. This very short story because I spot what. Is some kind of weird production mix-up where the middle panel on this on page 34 is backwards. If you look at the Japanese characters in the background. Oh, it is. Which I, I started noticing because I started learning Japanese like a lot more heavy between the last time I read Akira and now. And I was oh, like, no, oh, that's not. strange. No, no. No, no. Actually, no, it's not. It's that that sign is the back that's the back side of the sign. Mm-hmm. If you look on the right side of that panel, Udon is, is reads right. Oh, I see. It's not a flopped. Yeah, it's just I like see. you're seeing the back of the sign. Yeah, oh, I was okay. so thrown by this that oh. I had to pull the other volume off the shelf, the color edition, to compare that and see which one went which way. Oh, <laughs> amazing. Yeah, no, I'm what just like, I want to know everything to about this. Yeah. But it's, I don't know, it's good. It's such a good book. There's so many different angles to appreciate it from. And even if you're a weirdo who's always looking at, uh... oh, they flipped it, actually. We'll talk about this in the show notes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so good. The draftsmanship is so good. It's just, it works on so many different levels that I always appreciate revisiting it. Hmm. Deb, did you have something else before we call it? I was going to say, I am waiting so patiently for the complete Otomo books from Kodansha. And every time they announce something, I keep thinking, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Do you want to yeah. know something else? Like... After I got distracted by page 34, I got on Amazon Japan and ordered all the Otomo books that are available right now that I don't know. <laughs> oh, amazing. Yeah, because the, the exchange rate is bump. so good right now. <laughs> that's good. Oh, that's oh, true. Yeah. Oh, my of God. Of course, yeah. yeah. The exchange, the exchange rate is really yeah. good. Like, right. I got, I ordered, I think, five books. They should be here next week. And it's, yeah. Anyway, listeners, Akira is great. We love Akira. <laughs> I, got, I got one question, because if you're looking at the... Uh, you're looking at the color versions? Yeah. A question I have. The guy in the bar, 35, what color is his skin in the color version? He is version? brown. He is actually black. Uh, okay, all right. Because <laughs> when I'm reading it, I'm just like, that's a weird look for this Japanese guy. Yeah. <laughs> There's Japanese guys with dreads? What are you talking about? I know. I've, he's he's, he's and all and like in. The hat this guy's all and- in. 
Yeah, I've it's like I've met this dude in Japan. Black or culturally, I have too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's culturally appropriative. Uh, is how yeah. I read it actually. But I'm glad to know that he is black in the original in the color versions. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what kind of conversation that was between <laughs> Olaf and, and uh, Otomo. Like, hey, buddy. Uh, <laughs> it knows that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a break and then come right back. We'll see you in a bit. Hello, and welcome back from the last break of the official season. We will be doing some filler episodes, as we call them on the spreadsheet, but honestly, not filler. We're going to do some fun stuff. We're going to do a it's best It's all killer. Of, it's all killer, actually. We're going to do some fun interviews. Books for New Readers, one where we pick some of the best books like we did last year. So don't worry. You've still got lots of manga explaining content. I don't think there's going to be any skip weeks, but there might be a couple because Christmas and New Year's are in a weird spot this year with our recording schedule. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it works out. But we thought we would end the season with me taking over for because David had to host for me for the first half. <laughs> Thank you, David. I appreciate it. For a full hour. Is it the second so time do... I've done that this season? Uh, no comment. So. No comment. <laughs> uh... It's sorry. We it's very early here. Okay, <laughs> it takes me a full hour of talking about manga just to wake up. So we're gonna do some Q and A. We're gonna do some Q and A because you guys are lovely and send in questions for us, and so we're gonna answer them. And our first question is from David Bedner, who is a friend of the podcast and hangs out on Twitter, being nice. Thank you, David. And the question is. Hi, Manga Splaining. In America, tie-in media to movies and games and stuff often is held as lower-tier work. Is it the same in Japan? What are tie-in comics that shake the stigma? Something about Cracker Barrel selling the Nightmare Before Christmas manga <laughs> made me wonder about, about this situation. And uh, for those of you who don't know, there's a Nightmare Before Christmas manga, official Disney manga in Japan that was published by Tokyo Pop, and they somehow managed to hold on to the rights to that even through all of the Tokyo Pop turmoil of the last 15 years or so, and as many Disney properties have gone on to other publishers, including Viz Media, and maybe maybe we'll talk about that. So it's a, it might be a fraught question, actually, David, specifically, because I believe you work <laughs> on some tie-in material through your day job, or I know I know your boss is kind of in charge of that portion of of the yeah, stuff yeah. where they're she, she's she's managing the Disney stuff, the Marvel stuff that you guys are, like the Deadpool, the Deadpool book. You oh, there you go, the Deadpool book that you edited. That's a good mm -hmm. example. That brand in one Is of the it? Jump magazines. Because I feel like there's there's a difference between a comic expanding into a new like location, like Deadpool going for some reason from the U.S. to Japan very successfully, yeah. and like Deadpool the video game issue number one, which I think is what the question was about. Or am I... I think it's well. The Nightmare Before Christmas manga, I think, is not actually. I think that's oh, yeah, one true. of the ones that's not a straight adaptation. I think it's like a side story or something like that. I don't yeah. know. Well, mm -hmm. sorry. General, we can we can go back to the the text of the question. General, open it up. What do you think about tie in tie in manga? I think for a while, companies were kind of hacking them out because they would come like late in the production cycle for whatever the actual tie in is. So they wouldn't have you know uh, all the information they might need. For example, yeah. That's not a totally a personal real life thing, but like they're just as good as other comics in the end. If as long as you do them well. Yeah. Like there's um, Marvel ultimate Alliance. I feel like had a really good comic tie in, which I believe Greg Pak wrote. Hmm. Um, 
with the inhuman something like that this is like 2006 2007 sorry the and then yeah. tom is it tom taylor who got to start doing the injustice books for dc yeah yeah, yeah, yeah and now up. he's like yeah. one of the like those blew up people love them he's one of the big names at dc now i think so that's north american comics but manga specifically yeah. Deb, I know you have no fewer than 25,000 manga in your house at any given time. <laughs> are there any tie-in manga that you could think of that you really liked? So when you say tie-in, are you saying like the, the movie came first and then the manga came after? Or, or the anime that- came first and then the manga adapts the anime? I know that happened with some of the oh. Makoto Shinkai stuff, for example. Mm-mm-mm. Or like a, a toy line, like, like how G.I. Joe was a toy oh, line yeah. that Marvel made the backstory for it in comic form. Oh, like a, it's a licensing deal yeah 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 same for transformers back in the day yeah i have a hard time with this one i mean because the ones that come to mind are things like the makota shinkai ones like like wolf children for example oh yeah oh, the yen yeah. was doing those yeah, yeah. where they, they those animated films that got manga adaptations and the manga or, looks good or your name or things like that yeah absolutely that's the only ones that kind of come to mind otherwise i was gonna say like bridget like splatoon a lot Oh, oh yeah, yeah, and I would say the Akira Hamakawa Legend of Zelda manga, which builds off the game, but you know makes it much more like a narrative. I think mm. it's quite well done. Yeah, that's like one of the gold standard licensed or adapted manga or, or comics properties for me is the the Himakawa's Zelda material. It's actually really good, like weirdly good. If you're a Zelda fan and you haven't read it, it's not. It's not something that we would pick for Chip, for example. It's not manga for people who don't read much manga, unless they are Zelda fans. And we, But I think it, it stands on its own. I can say that I got a couple of fun stories. First one, a lot of the tie-in manga that would happen in North America, like Blank the Manga that would happen in North mm-hmm. America, especially during the boom years, would happen because it was successfully argued that if you're, let's say, IDW, and you pay for the license to a license to do a comic, so you're doing the whatever comic. Let's say Star Trek. You're doing the Star Trek comic. It was successfully argued that that's for the comic book adaptation and the manga adaptation is a separate license. And so during the manga boom, Tokyopop was able to successfully argue that and put out Star Trek manga from, I think it was Star Trek manga. It was another property from Tokyopop while IDW had the license for the comics because they were separate licenses. And I don't, like manga is just the word for comic. I can't imagine how a lawyer let that one go through, but sometimes you just sort of let shit happen. So Marvel with Conan, a similar thing happened because there's the Marvel Conan books and like all the Dark Horse, yeah, Dark Horse backlist stuff that they have. And there are these other Conan comics called The Sumerian, which the estate yeah. of Howard also oh, licensed to someone else. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. at first I thought it was like a European American thing, but it's just no, they just license it twice, which is amazing. <laughs> but I think on the f- subject of things being turned into comics and the respectability of it, Fate Stay Night is a great example because oh. it is oh, a yeah. it was a visual novel, basically an adult game in like two thousand four or five, something like that. The Dark Ages. Yeah. And it is somehow spun off into one of the biggest franchises in like media. Like there's regular anime, which looks has such a high budget. It looks better than other anime, even if it's not actually like better written. Like it looks amazing. Yeah. There's yeah, yeah. games, there's novels, there's movies. I think they there's just a cooking spinoff based on a phone game. Like, yeah, it's a monster. Oh, yeah. The cooking spinoff from Dinfa Publishing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Today's menu with the uh, Emiya. Oh, today's menu. Yeah. There you go. I've made the salmon and buttered mushrooms, and it's really good. 
the recipes <laughs> are, are quite good. <laughs> yeah. So I think there is a stigma, but it's like, it depends on how you look at it. Because if you're not like a mainstream superhero person, a comic is a comic, like whether it's based on a video game or Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. But if it's, if it's good, it'll succeed. It's just like anything. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like Sonic, the Sonic, the hedgehog was like, Oh yeah. How, how many issues did, has that run at Archie? Like a like couple hundred, hundred issues or Hundreds. Yeah. Hundreds. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's beloved. I've never read it, but really, yeah. But apparently, yeah. Build all these worlds. Yeah, I have one Marvel story about. Yeah, like, go ahead, go ahead. Stuff I used to do the Marvel retreats, the in-person things where you'd show up and all the writers and VPs and everyone would show up and we talk about who would win in a fight, a Hulk or thing, <laughs> for three days. And at one point, I think because they got the rights to Conan back, I think Ultraman was kind of a thing that they told us about at the time. They're like. We're in the licensed comic business. Like, what? Here's we're handing out sheets of paper. Write down your top three licensed properties that you'd want to write at Marvel. Mm. We'll see if we can make that happen. So everyone in the room just kind of like, oh my, ooh, I love the aliens or Predator or whatever, and Freddy Krueger, and like, I've got none of that. There's nothing I want to do. Like, <laughs> the, the characters I wanted to write were Marvel ones, and I'm there doing it. Like, I don't want Godzilla in my book. So when it was my turn to write down, I wrote down Batman three times. <laughs> oh, nobody then they made let, that happen for you. I know. Nobody cared for the joke. And here I am a few years later writing Batman. So it all worked out. It's like you manifested it. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, a joke that went man. too far. Yeah. Mm, that's great. Yeah. I want to back that up. Absolutely agree with David there. Uh, sorry, brothers. Uh, not Batman. That... I think, yeah, it's about how you approach the work. I, I know that there's stuff in Japan that gets huge creators to do like short things in Japan all the time that are adaptations. And I know that like mm-hmm. even, even here in North America, yeah, licensed comics take a hit. Not everyone wants to do them. But the guys at Udon who are doing Street Fighter comics do it because they just love Street Fighter. Like they just want to keep expanding that Street Fighter universe forever. The comics are like... I think about the highest quality Street Fighter comics one could do, like whatever yeah. your opinion is on Street Fighter. They changed the face of the franchise too. Like they ended up getting involved in the design of the games. Absolutely. Mm. They're working on the next thing as well. The Street Fighter mm-hmm. 6 is coming out. So like, yeah, man, like it's a, it's a big it's a big deal for them. And if you have that passion and you approach that work, then that's that's kind of all that matters. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I know that there's a couple of good examples that I'm thinking of that I'll throw into the show notes that are like really amazing works that people are definitely going to want to check out. But yeah, I, I, I think there was a Japanese Adidas commissioned manga that happened a couple of years ago. That's like super mm-hmm. out of print and really rare. I'll see if I can find that and put it in the show notes as well. But David, Here's thank a, you so much for the question. Oh, go ahead. Uh, sorry. I, I mean, on topic, <laughs> off topic, but I'm, I'm always curious thinking about that Marvel retreat out of all the characters and properties in comics or outside of comics, what would each of you most love to write a comic about? Oh. Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips is criminal. <laughs> yeah, right. Like that's so really? good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's in my top ten. That's a really yeah. good. No, it's tough. I'm kind of like you, where I, like, I've done. I actually wrote some fan fiction a couple months ago, but I've been out of the game for a long time. Like, I don't really have mm-hmm. that muscle anymore. Oh, yeah. Are you except for the telling one us time. what the fan fiction was about? Uh, yeah, it was about Gundam. There was like an idea that I had in my head that I couldn't get out. So I had to kind of make it a story to get it out of my head. Yeah. But for the most part, like I'm just like, I don't do shipping. Like I just give me the cannon and I'm, I'm fine there. 
Yeah, so I'm not like, oh, I've got like a Godzilla story burning a hole in my heart or something like that. <laughs> even though I love Godzilla. You know? Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely one of the like, I'm too close. Like, I can't do a good job. But mm. Christopher, how about you? What do you got? I actually got, I don't want to, hmm. The big, the funnest part of the job for me when I was working at Biz, trying to discover new stuff, was actually, I didn't want to create things. I wanted to find the things that had been created that had been lost. And mm. so one of the, the first book that I brought into Viz, David actually ended up editing, which is hilarious, the Transformers manga. And I was like digging too. through, oh, sorry, by the way, <laughs> but I was digging through like a used bookstore in Hokkaido and I like found this book and I was like, there was Transformers manga, never had heard of it before, was wow. published concurrently with the animated show when it first came out in the 80s in like Japanese children's TV guide, which is, I'll, I'll put that in the notes. But it was like, not only, like I love, the Transformers is why I read comics. I've told this story before, but like Spider-Man appearing in Transformers number three was like, oh, I've seen him on TV at my cousin's house. I'll buy that because I have a couple Transformers toys and it just changed me. I, that's like my first comic and I've read comics ever since. Finding out that there was concurrent comics with that that I never knew existed in Japan where Transformers was from, hard air quotes on that, it was mind blowing. It was like it tickled something in the back of my like brain that hadn't like it was just like I have to have this like I have to make this happen. Like we have to make this happen. And so mm. we found it. Our the version that Viz did is significantly better than any Japanese edition that's ever come out by wow. like by like leaps and bounds. They did an amazing job on it. And the comics are like not objectively good you read them with a critical eye they don't hold up because they were serialized eight pages at a time in a japanese children's tv guide but they're really fun they're really really fun and exciting and the art style is really cool and if you were like the same age i was when transformers came out in the 80s you would love it and so the fact of the matter is like i've always wanted to find something like that as like a transformers fan from like when i was little and then i found it and caused it to be published because the best comics about that kind of stuff are the, are not going to be by me if that makes sense like maybe it's just low self-esteem mm. to think that i can't contribute at like that level of 1980s like you know pen to paper kind of stuff but yeah man i got to do that and that was awesome or at least i got to like get the ball rolling and david did significantly more work on it than i did <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah like now i want there to be things and i don't know that I don't know that I'm, I, I, I did, I did one piece of fan fiction that got published. Actually, Image did a book called Put the Book Back on the Shelf. And it was people doing tributes to Bell and Sebastian mm. songs, oh. like adapting songs either directly or doing things that were inspired or whatnot. And I was just like a massive and still am a, a huge Bell and Sebastian fan. And so when I heard that book was coming together, I actually emailed Eric Stevenson. I'm like, this is going to seem weird because you know me for like a million things other than this, but can I write a story for the Bell and Sebastian book that you guys are doing? I have a perfect thing and I'll put together an art team and stuff. And so Ramon Perez and Kalman Androvsky illustrated wow. it for me. It's basically this, this idea I had of listening to their music for so long where it was like, oh, there's always one song about a sad, lonely kind of tough girl on every single Bell and Sebastian album. What if they're the same girl at different Ooh. port at different points in her life? Like, and so it starts off with expectations where, which is the name of the story. And then it ends with her coming into her own at the end on uh, Dear Catastrophe Waitress. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes. 
but yeah, like, like what if she actually grows out of her awkward phase where like other people are shitty to her and she keeps having these douchebag boyfriends and what if she actually gets a happy ending? And so I wrote that. Yeah, it was significantly panned by Douglas Rushkoff, specifically (laughs) when the the reviews came out as not making enough sense. And I thought, perfect. That's it's a story just for me that my friends were nice enough to illustrate. And then no one got it but me. Uh, Mal said, "Oh, this is a very Chris story. I like it." And that was nice, uh, Brian. Nice. Yeah, so, yeah. other than that, yeah, that was the, that was the review that mattered. So, but yeah, I did write it one time, and I I have not honestly had any interest in doing so. But Deb, you you actually make comics or have have made comics. You illustrate. You tell stories, usually involving your travels on Twitter. Is there something that you would want to do? You know that I think what David said kind of resonates. Like I've never been a shipper. You know, I've never like been in like, oh, you know, what if so-and-so and so-and-so got together? Like, it's, mm. that's not how I think about comics. But, you know, like my, my weakness is I'm always rooting for male lead number two and male lead number two <laughs> never gets the girl. And that bums me out. Is that Shikamaru and Naruto? No, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's a hot German butler and Emma. Uh, I was rooted for Kyle that guy. He, yeah. Sorry, do you want me to get Alfred laid in Batman? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> or you know, I don't know. I mean, like I'm rooting for Zoro. I want like I think Zoro's the hottest one in One Piece, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I've always been more of a Zoro guy than a Sanji guy. I feel you on that one. I was thinking, like, well, is there any stories that I've read that I thought no, it shouldn't have ended this way, and it should have ended another way. Or I wish that it went in this direction instead. And I mean, of course, I bitch about Hana Yori Dango all the time, all the time. Yeah, yeah. but could I could I have written a better ending? I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, like that's Boys Over Flowers for people who don't know, which is like you know the, mm. the slowest of slow burns. No, it's like no, it's not a slow burn. It's a lot of melodrama and no payoff. <laughs> I am still bitter. We we all know what she means about payoff, right? Yeah, yeah, we all get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why I went to Boys Love. Uh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like Hot Gimmick, for example, right? Like most people are really happy with the ending of Hot Gimmick, so she wrote a novel. They have a novel that gives you alternative ending with the other guy, or yeah. like in there's a series called Batum where it has uh, two endings. Like there's the dark ending and the light ending. Two two versions of the last volume, so I got nothing more to I got nothing to <laughs> to offer. I mean, like, I I feel like the like that Doraemon ending that we've mentioned a couple times, the one that someone else oh, wrote yeah. the ending of the Doraemon. Yeah. To me, that is the tippy top, like like of fan fiction as like writing. Yeah, so the ending of Doraemon, fans were super sad about, and so someone wrote an, a happy ending for it as a doujinshi, and then sold tens of thousands of copies of it and it's still bootlegged Amazing. it's still online is like the best one of all time anyway yeah so I, I feel you uh, yeah and it's like japanese mickey mouse yeah so i got nothing I, my fanfic muscle is pretty atrophied <laughs> yeah yeah i do i do like the fact that i, I pose the question like you know which kind of licensed characters or properties would you want to do and deb is just like what would i want to fix <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you have to you have to have some of that, though. You have to, like, yeah, you, yeah. when you start a superhero book, you're not like, 
what's working well and how can I continue that? You're like, no, here we go. I'm going to, I'm going to put my stamp on this. And that's maybe not you, but one, let's say superhero writers, everyone has the story they want to tell that they think is the real story of, of that character. And unless you're following someone that's like huge on a book, like, you know, unless you're taking over for an issue of, of Brubaker and Phillips, like everyone wants to put their stamp because the characters are, for me, the Transformers, sorry, since the stuff that I read, which ended at issue 100, there have been 30, like 30 years of Transformers comics, some of them very good by people I know and are some of them yeah, are yeah. friends. Like I haven't read them. That's not what Transformers into me. My Transformers yeah. is going back to 1984 and finding stuff that was made then. So like, yeah, someone wants that for Batman. Someone's favorite Batman is the Michael Keaton Batman, and they want to continue on from like the end of the end of the. Oh yeah, Batman I mean, the, the the problem with doing a character like Batman is everyone has a favorite version of the character. They're all different, and yeah. a lot of them contradict so and much. So <laughs> I'm I'm upsetting people daily, mm. daily with with decisions. What 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 are they most angry about? I'm curious. Well, I mean, it, it's mostly romantic. Those oh, are, yeah? those are the big ones that people are always upset with. Mm. Yeah, like Tom King's going in, but like Tom King set up, you know, Batman and Catwoman are like the perfect couple, and they love each other, and blah blah, kissy kissy kissy, and we're married in secret, and blah blah blah, and like I don't know, uh, Teeny who writes Catwoman came on and was like, well, that's boring. I'm not going to do that, so she's doing something else. I'm following her lead. I'm just like, yeah, you know. So like everyone's furious, or like if we do have him like kissing Catwoman, people who ship. Batman and Talia Al Ghul or whatever, like furious. Like there's always going to be people upset. People want Batman either super dark, light. He, they want him to be a detective. They want him to be a bruiser. They want him to murder people. They want him to be kind to children. Like everyone's got their own version of the character in their head. Because so there's so many dark versions of Batman. Because there's what? so many dark versions. I know. So like my big thing was like coming off of the guy who preceded me was James Tinian the Fourth, uh-huh. and like he did a great job. But also, when I started writing my script, I sent it to the artist, who also worked with James. He's like, oh, this is amazing. I haven't drawn Bruce Wayne yet. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm like, what? Because <laughs> James's, oh James's, James's run was just like all Batman all the time and like introducing wow. new characters and kind of he, – he's really good with the speculator market. So he knows that like, oh, I introduce this character and sales will go up and we'll have Batman do all this stuff. But like billionaire playboy Bruce Wayne just was not a character. And so my artist was just like, oh, yes, it's great. I'm drawing and being like a playboy and it's Bruce Wayne. I'm just like, underpants. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So stuff like that, even though James's run was great, it's like, okay, yeah. But I like the duality stuff. I like the act that he has to do. So that's why I kind of put that in. You need like a Batman Kosakushima. (laughs) It just clocks in every day. (laughs) (laughs) What? Wow. It's just that the whole comic is Bruce Wayne managing a corporation. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's actually Batman Kosakushima. Oh, I could see the Kosakushima people going and doing that. Well, if DC wasn't so weird about their properties, I could see Marvel doing it. Actually, Kosakushima Iron Man actually would be huge. Kosakushima <laughs> Iron like, Man would be amazing. Yeah, DC doesn't do their properties like that, but CB is on that in a heartbeat. If you're listening, I'm sure, I'm sure you're making a call right now to Kodansha, <laughs> being like Kosakushima Iron Man. How can we make this happen? <laughs> All right. I promised two questions. I got second question, and it's just for Chip because we're having a nice Chip time. No, it's it's just for Chip. It's Erica Friedman, another friend of the podcast, has been actually I think was oh, on yeah. at one time. I have a question specifically for Chip. He's read a bunch of manga now of all kinds. Let's say one of his Mine. buddies, maybe James Tinian Four, the Tinianing. Let's say one of his buddies asks him for a recommendation to read a manga 
Which one of the manga he's read so far would he choose and why? Chip, you can choose the buddy and the circumstances to frame the choice. So maybe not Jace Dandy the fourth. Well, I mean, I've already had it. We have the house husband for Matt Fraction. Oh, oh yeah. Because as I, as I was reading, it was just like, oh, this is like a Hawkeye gag. Like it was like the sensibility was just right there for him. So I, I sent that to him. There have been a few. I think Vinland Saga I sent to Stegman. Oh, cool. okay. Just because it's 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 beautiful, amazing action. Like I think super I think kinetic. Yeah, it's a good super pick. kinetic. Oh, and I also, I also sent him ping pong. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. Why? After the first volume, because it's it's gorgeous. It's one of the most beautifully drawn books, and so I I tend to focus on the art side of things when I'm kind of recommending them to my friends who are also artists. Yeah, writers. I I don't know. Like I would. Yeah, yeah. Besides, way of the house husband because that was a specific thing. I've I've, I've recommended Tokyo Terrible Girls to a bunch of other creators. Hmm. Mm. Can I put you on the spot for one? Yeah. What would you recommend to Kelly Sue DeConnick? Oh, Kelly Sue. Oh, um, a bride story maybe. Oh yeah, I could see that for sure. Yeah, yeah. Cowboy. Yeah. 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 Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because like, I I would recommend Tokyo Terrible Girls to Matt before I would Kelly Sue. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me why. I mean, Kelly Sue doesn't like. I don't think she likes. Uh, I was going to say romance, but she like she, she doesn't she, she doesn't gravitate towards even just like kind of romance in comics. I don't think she really gravitates towards it too much. Mm-hmm. And the, the Sex and the City stuff, I think that'd be more Matt's thing than hers. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. good choices. What did Matt think of Way of the House Heads, and what was his reaction? Uh, I mean, the stuff I sent him because I would just send him like pages and pages of it, and I, I think he went out and ended up getting it, but like. Like he 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 gets it. Like it's it's very much in his wheelhouse. Yeah, mm. he enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm trying to think of anything else that kind of stands out. It's hard. Like yeah, everything everything's for everybody. Like there's mm-hmm. like if you kind of give me a list of comic creators and the list of the manga we read, I could probably like you know pair like like wine pairings or whatever. I could make like a conspiracy <laughs> wall. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like we should definitely. Like, like maybe half an hour before I was doing this, I popped onto Ryan Stegman's live stream ah. and I threatened him with the good time of joining us at some point. Cause Ooh. he always has <laughs> questions. Cause yeah, at some point we should probably bring in some more people. Now that I'm an expert, I would love to just drag someone like Ryan in who's, who's a dummy and just finally educate him. That sounds delightful. I was going to say very, those are very smooth recommendations. You just pull off the top of your head right there. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so magnanimous and smart making recommendations good books good stuff but yeah erica had such nice things to say about the podcast and so oh oh that's great the rest of the comment was it's been fun to see your interest in manga gel thanks for going into this manga so openly finally i mentioned this to deb when i saw her last week but this podcast has been critical for my mental well-being you made me read stuff i would not have and talked about stuff i've never read which is fantastic and occasionally given some love to books i have enjoyed thank you all which is like awesome such a nice comment, and I wanted that to be our last question of the season officially to to go out on because it was really when that came in, I was like really appreciative. It came in on last episode on Cal yeah. and Generic Romance, which was a bear to write, but was good. And yeah, people really liked that book. By the way, we recommended Cal and Generic Romance, yeah. and yeah, Instagram like four or five people actually pointed out that they went and bought it just because we recommended it. So 
I think oh, Mark nice. Devera is buying us all dinner next time we see him at Yen Press Woo. for recommending us that we, we check that one out. And I guess that's an episode. We got some more episodes coming up before we start with season four, which at this point is going to be in the new year. And we haven't actually picked books for season four, so we'll have to figure that out at some point. I think these picks were maybe supposed to be the first, <laughs> this episode, this season, by the way, doesn't just feel a little bit longer. It's actually like five episodes longer than last season. I was going to say. Because I think these yeah. last three books that we picked were supposed to be, I think the first three books of, C- but I was not paying attention. I was moving. I was not paying attention that day. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So Kowloon Generic Romance and Space Brothers and Kosakushima were supposed to be the beginning of season four. <laughs> Whoops. Whoopsie. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> We're going to hire a new Chris for season four. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Back to sleep. Yeah. I'll just produce silently, laughing at everything you guys say. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode and for this season. And we'll be back for at least a couple more weeks. And we will see you all again in the new year with new manga to read and enjoy. Bye. <laughs>